Hello fellow adventurers and welcome back to the Nerd Lab, where we transform our gaming passion into incredible game designs and learn how to nerd like a boss. My name is Marvin and I'm an ambitious game designer on my quest to develop a cooperative fantasy card game. For this podcast, my vision is to take you with me on this exciting journey. Together we will explore the secrets of different game mechanics and reach the next level as a game designer. Today, I want to focus on a topic that is very important uh, to me, personally. At the moment, my kids ask me every night before they go to bed if I can tell them a story. In the past, each kid chose a book uh, and we read those books together. But since some days, it is more and more important to them that I come up with the stories myself. Mostly because uh, they want to influence the flow of the story. This can mean that um, the ghost of my story has to be friendly um, and help the protagonist instead of playing a trick on them, for example. That means I have to come up with new ideas and stories on the fly of um, how the story could progress. Um, and when I thought about that situation a bit more, I realized that what my kids actually want to do um, is playing an RPG. And that is exactly the topic I want to discuss today. Designing and playing RPGs for and with kids. And since my kids are still a bit young and um, yeah, I am just at the beginning of the journey of playing RPGs with them, I am very glad to have a guest for today's show. He has a lot more experience in both playing and designing RPGs for kids. He's not only the owner of the very cool domain RPGforkids.com, But he's also the designer of Starport, a fun educational and non-violent tabletop RPG for kids. And of course, he's also a father. But there's one thing he's not. He is not the art director of his game, Starport, because that shop was taken over by his eight-year-old uh, boys. I'm super excited to hear how this came to be and learn more about the design process of Starport. So please welcome with me Kevin Ferrone. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Hello, thank you very much. It's an absolute pleasure to be here, and thanks for that wonderful introduction. <laughs> so before we go into the entire process um, of how to design and play RPGs with kids, uh, can you please introduce yourself um, and tell our listeners where your love for RPGs comes from? Well, my love of RPGs comes from when I was a very young kid, and I, I still remember experiencing my, my very first um, ex, uh, tabletop role-playing game You know, like most people, I was introduced to Dungeons and Dragons as my first tabletop RPG. It was really the only mainstream one available, and I started playing when I was, I think, in fourth grade. Of course, I didn't use all the rules, um, and a lot of the RPGs that are around today, especially ones like Starport, um, specifically for kids, weren't weren't around. So I was hooked from the very first moment I, I started playing RPGs. Um, Yeah, as a professional now, I, I'm, uh, I've been involved in international education for my entire professional career. And so, um, you know, in, in building RPGs like Starport, uh, one thing that was important to me was combining, uh, education, uh, and, uh, the, you know, the, the wonder of tabletop role playing games. Um, and so, you know, I've, I've been a gamer my entire life, uh, in my professional career, I've been an educator. So marrying the two is just a very natural thing for me. 
we must have been pretty much the same age when we first started our RPG journey, because I started in fourth or maybe fifth grade uh, ah. with uh, AD&D, was it called at that time? It was yes. Advanced Dungeons and Dragons at that time. That's right. <laughs> yeah. But I still have the the very first uh, Dungeons and Dragons because it was called Dungeons and Dragons first, then it was called Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, and then it uh, went back to Dungeons and Dragons. So uh, I went through the entire process. You know, the the interesting thing for me is I actually didn't even start with that. I, I, a friend of mine had played Dungeons and Dragons, and he didn't know how to play. And he had come to me one morning and said, "Here are some D6." He gave me some D6 and said, "You know, do you want to go on an adventure?" And I said, "Yes." And he said, okay, well, you're walking on the road and you see a person walking towards you. What do you do? And we just started role playing and he had me roll some dice and I didn't know what I was doing, but I, I was, I was immediately hooked and role playing games forever since then. So it wasn't really Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> yeah, perfect. But this is exactly what I do with my kids from time to time. Just, uh, telling them a story and giving, giving them a dice to, to make a decision and, and see how, how the result is. Mm. So, um, with your background, um, um, since you are a professional in education, so what would you say is, um, is it that kids can really learn from playing RPGs? Oh my goodness. Uh, I attribute much of my, uh, professional competencies and skill sets to playing RPGs. Uh, so, you know, from the very basic level, math. Right. So there's, uh, you know, adding and subtracting and uh, Starport does a lot of that for young kids. But the, the real thing, the real skills, I think, come in when you when you're learning how to disagree effectively uh, when you're in a group um, uh, teamwork and problem solving and thinking creatively, thinking divergently. Uh, there is a lot of those kinds of social communication skills that can be. Um, built and a, a lot more now these kinds of um, skills are important to schools in helping students um, through after school programs and things like this and helping them gain these soft social skills so there's a lot more attention to this nowadays yes i have heard from a friend that um, he knows a math teacher that um, uses also rpg elements in school um, so I don't know how he does it exactly, but um, somehow he um, every child uh, creates a kind of character at the beginning of the of the year, and then they mm -hmm. gather experience points over the over the year. So there's some kind of gamification, and mm -hmm. also a bit of role playing involved. So that sounds very interesting, but I do not have too much details. Um, do you use RPGs in your um, in your professional life as well, or is it something that you only use in your Yeah, in your spare time with your so, kids. Yeah, that's a good question. I, you know, at the moment, I I don't use it in my professional life. I'm not a classroom teacher. I run educational programming for international students. Um, my my brother, who is a partner of mine in our um, our game company, uh, he has uses Starport in uh, in the classroom, and he actually works he works with uh, students who have behavior um, uh, problems. And he has very successfully used Starport uh, in his classroom as as a reward system, and he's even integrating the system into the the students' regular um, classrooms throughout the school day. Uh, and so he's actually used Starport as a as a very effective tool in his work in school. 
That sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah. And do you think it's also possible to use RPGs to, to work on some kind of psychological problems mm. or issues? Because um, it might be easier for someone to express problems or to think about them from another perspective or angle when, when, when they are yeah, not themselves, but a fictional character that they playing. You know, I've heard of this being done um, I, in uh, a school I used to, my wife used to work in actually has done this through, not through um, official you know, role-playing games like Dungeons Dragons, like, uh, but through role-play and through the experience of role-play. Um, they can be, it can be a very, very powerful tool. And so the school she was working in, the, the psychiatrist in the school uh, frequently used Uh, role play and role play elements with groups of students um, who were having different different challenges and, and problems. And so, yes, I believe uh, it has been effectively used in that way and probably should be used more. We are a little bit off topic now, but um, but I think it's an interesting idea to think about how we can uh, use RPGs more in our educational system. Because when yeah. I was uh, when I was on that age, I know that there were real campaigns against uh, RPGs and against mm -hmm. uh, trading card games and stuff like that because they are uh, vicious and they they come from the devil and all our kids will will do yeah. some dark rituals uh, in the evening. So um, I heard a lot about of uh, bad stuff about that uh, in my childhood. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to see how this changed uh, when my kids come to school. Definitely changed for sure. I remember the same. I, some of my friends were not allowed to play. Yeah. Uh, they had to hide it from their parents because it was attached to some you know, Satan or devil worship. Uh, but I'm, you know, I'm happy to say now that Uh, role-playing games in Dungeons and Dragons are are um, becoming cool now. It's cool to be a nerd. Uh, so yeah, yeah, so awesome. Like boss, yeah. <laughs> so um, let's get back to to Starport um, and and your design endeavors. So when did you really start with the with the design process of the game, and what was maybe the initial trigger to start with the design? Uh, yeah, so the, the design for Starport really started when my kids were about five or six years old. I wanted to play role-playing games with them. It was, they were so uh, meaningful to me in my childhood, I wanted to give them that. Um, so I um, I tried to introduce them to, uh, to role-playing games very young, and I found very quickly that You know, games like Dungeons and Dragons just didn't work. The the mechanics were impossibly difficult, and they just turned into storytelling sessions, right? Talking back and forth. So, but I did see the merit of being able to roll dice or having some kind of system that and structure that we worked in. So I actually created a game, uh, which then eventually became Starport. Um, I created it. I played it with them. They loved it so much. It um, it worked so well. Um, I had great feedback from some friends, and so I decided, hey, you know, I should actually make this because I don't think there's a lot out there to serve this niche, this kind of person like I am, and there must be others like me. And so I actually built the entire game. I built out the uh, all the different elements, the you know, nailed down the mechanic and the gameplay, and then you know, put together, of course, all the the art assets and put it together in, into a beautiful book. So when you talk about the gameplay, tell us a bit more about that. How does the game actually play? 
Yeah, so the 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 core mechanic of the game is is really quite simple. It's um it's all based on d20 rolling. As kids I, what I found out is the kids would love rolling the d20. I had all kinds of dice but they just went for that d20, that big nice round dice. Um and so it all the core mechanic of the game is based on setting uh the guide who is an, an adult or an older child setting uh, difficulties for different actions that the players want to perform in the game or their characters want to perform, whether it's jumping over something or swinging something or trying to convince someone of something, um, setting action um, difficulties and then rolling and meeting those difficulties. Now, the other, you know, that's, that's essentially how you resolve all the actions in the game. Now, the one thing that I, I found out to also through playtesting was that kids really hated the idea of having to increase or decrease their roles before they could see the result. And so what I changed about the game was the, um, the, the kids got to actually roll the D20, see the result if they succeeded or failed, and then after the fact, they could use their abilities or their tokens to increase or decrease their roles to either succeed to succeed on their um, uh, on their actions. So uh, those are a few different sort of core elements of the uh, of the gameplay and the mechanic. And um, do they have some kind of character sheet, or how do they choose what kind of character they want to play? Yeah, so the game is, uh, you know, it, it works for kids that are f as young as five years old and up to 12 years old. So there's different levels of complexity. And, you know, for the, the kids that are at least about seven years old, I, or seven or eight years old, I, um, you could use the character sheet and actually do some character creation. So there's a character sheet. You, you get to choose how many different, um, uh, tokens, uh, which, uh, are in different skills. Tough, uh, smart, um, sneaky, or helpful. Those are your four different skills. And you get to choose your tokens and how many tokens you have in each, which can be used to increase your, um, uh, actions in each of those areas. Um, you uh, then have a few other things that you, uh, other layers of complexity that you can add to the game if your kids are older and want more excitement. You can give them equipment, which will give them different abilities. You can actually choose something. Uh, called abilities, which gives you different abilities. And you can also have pets. Kids love the pets. They give you different advantages or abilities in the game as well. So you'd, you'd collect this all in a, in a character sheet, uh, which also tracks your coins, which are money that can be used as currency in the game to buy more equipment and pets and things like that. Awesome. Um, I have played in the past uh, some mazes with my kids. I already talked about that in another podcast episode. Um, and the results were absolutely awesome. They were, um, the kids I played with were five and six. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, they chose their character. There were no, was no character sheet, but I also used, um, some tokens for, um, for their hit points and some tokens for, uh, the gold that they collected. And, um, Yeah, they, they moved through the, through the maze. I used some fog of war to, to hide the, the areas that they have not been, uh, before. And, um, yeah, they chose a character in the beginning. My, my daughter chose uh, to be, um, some kind of, uh, sorceress or princess or something between. And, um, the, um, the boy, the six year old boy chose to be, uh, a knight. 
Yeah, and, uh-huh, yeah. and they they played completely different uh, through that maze. The knight wanted to um, to fight against the um, the spiders and the minions, and my daughter was more about um, exploring exploring the dungeon to see what what would be behind the fog of war. Mm. So, um, but the knight had a great time protecting her, and she she was willingly accepting that. So um, that was an awesome experience that we had there. So when it comes to um, fighting and stuff like that how do you handle that in your game because i've seen that is um uh, your game is a bit more let's say pride and um contains probably less fighting mm. yeah yeah so i i have to say that the idea about the maze is a great one we may just have to use that in, in starport exploring maze what a great what a great adventure and how exciting for kids so that was great <laughs> um Yes, with the the non-violent uh, element is actually one of the very key elements of of Starport. You know, every single game that I've seen, especially one even ones made for kids, they really cannot avoid the the terms and the concepts used in violent games, such as you know hit points. Um, there are always almost always swords or weapons of some kind um, attacking other um, creatures in the game. So I really wanted to make a game that didn't necessarily have to have that. Now, in Starport, you could ha- – the mechanic that I have built, you could use fighting. There could be attacking and hitting and things like that using the same mechanic. However, um, it's not a, a necessary or core element of the game. The way that um, the conflicts between creatures or other characters and, and players work – is that they might do something to each other that would um, increase or decrease tokens. So everything is based on the exchange of tokens. So you'd have a, a number of different tokens, tough, smart, sneaky, and helpful, and you would lose or gain those tokens throughout the game. And when you lose all of your tokens, you become exhausted. You can't use any of your powers, and you have to go and rest. Um, and so... When you don't necessarily give a, a, a kid a, a sword and say, you know, you can attack something, it's amazing what they come up with with how to overcome problems or disagreements with creatures that they meet along the way. Um, it actually expands their, their their creativity. They come up with all kinds of ways of, of you know, making friends with the creature or convincing them of something or, um, you know, and then, of course, there are kids and you can, you know, run adventures with um, kids who just want to, to hit things, right? Um, so that happens as well, and the mechanic works for that as well, using your tough tokens. Uh, but it's not a core p- part of the game. There are actually no swords or weapons in our in the inventory and the equipment available in Starport, so it's not an inherent part of the game at all. I really like that. Um, I also have a story for that. Um, <laughs> uh, maybe two weeks ago, I, I played Gloomhaven with my two kids, three and five-year-old, so very simplified version because um, we have a, a weekly a weekly session in which we sometimes play Gloomhaven, not always, but sometimes. And when my daughter wakes up, she comes uh, down and, and sees what we're doing and she's super interested in the minis and um, and everything that around that. So um, she asked me if, if we can play that game together. So I said, yes, of course we can. And I created some kind of a short, uh, short adventure for, for, for the bows. And, um, yeah, there was some kind of dragon and, um, the dragon was hiding a treasure and they were, they were trying to get to that treasure. Mm. The treasure were, tro- were chocolate, by the way. And, yeah. um, instead of, um, 
fighting the dragon, which would have been a possibility. They came up with super creative ideas of um, how they how they could solve the situation. So my daughter came up with the idea to lure this dragon into another room, and then my my boy uh, closed the door. So they 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 completely um, walked by that dragon instead of uh, of fighting it at all, and. She, we, we, we then made it some kind of teleportation spell, um, and um, yeah, it was a, it was a fun experience for all of us. So I really like um, like the idea of having an RPG that um, focuses way more on the um, non-violent aspect of RPGs. Yeah, I, so also in, as in the adventures that I have in the game, it's it's helpful to include a lot of different. Um, uh, different puzzles and problems and riddles. So it's really, you know, the, the city of, of Starport is essentially like a sandbox adventure where kids oftentimes just spend an hour session just exploring the city and going to the game room and playing games against, uh, you know, against people there and going to the kids club and, um, or helping someone fix their spaceship or, you know, so there's a lot of different, very interesting, neat, um, puzzles and, and, um, problems and that kids can solve and Starport's really focused on those as well. Is there, so I have two follow-up questions. Maybe the, we start with the first one, the, um, when it comes to, um, creativity, because we talked about creativity, um, from my experience, kids are way more creative than, than we adults because we, I think we, most of us lost a bit of it in our um, yeah rough world that we live in. But um, when it comes to playing RPGs, my question would be, do you think it is more complicated for a dungeon master to, to manage a session with kids because of their creativity um, or easier? Ooh, that is a great question. But you're absolutely right. The kids are way more creative. You know, when you play this game with an adult, I've played it with adults and they say, well, what are the rules? What can I do? What am I allowed to do? Do I have, do I have equipment? And the kids, all you have to do is give them tokens and say, this is where you are. What do you want to do? And they've got 10 ideas already. Uh, so you're absolutely right. Uh, and so in, with that, in that respect, it, it can make, um, dealing with the fluid situation of a tabletop RPG somewhat challenging for uh for an adult especially an adult who's never played rpgs before however i, I have in my play testing um uh, had a number of adults who've never played rpgs before uh who picked up uh starport and um uh learned the, the rules and the mechanics and the mechanic is simple enough that almost anyone can pick it up and start playing But it is when you get into the situation where the kid does something or comes up with some crazy, very interesting creative idea that makes, you know, any RPG for kids, I think, quite challenging to run. <laughs> yeah, I think so, too. Mm -hmm. um, and the second follow-up question is um, about the length of a typical adventure. You just mm -hmm. mentioned that they there would be a session of, of one hour. So because um, the game is also for, for younger kids and um, as we probably both know the attention span of infants um, and especially young boys can be very short from time to time. So um, how long is a typical session of, um, of Starport? Mm. Yeah. So one thing I, I have discovered is that, you know, my assumption was the same as what you just mentioned, that a five-year-old 
child is going to be difficult for them to really focus on an hour-long adventure. Um, but what we found is actually they always wanted more. <laughs> um, and, you know, t- typically the, the length of an adventure is going to be between 30 and 60 minutes, depending on how long you take and, you know, the setup and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so the, the full adventures I have written in the book, I would say take, would take you a full hour to run through. That said, you know, Starport is a sandbox. I, I made it this way on purpose because not all kids are the same. Everyone's different age, you know, di- different ages. A five-year-old plays the game completely different than a, than a nine or a ten-year-old. So the, the sandbox environment of Starport gives, gives the, the guide dozens of encounters, dozens of different activities that could happen in the city of Starport. And uh, which would allow for a younger child who might not be able to pay attention for very long or is very excited to try different things. It would allow them to do maybe just 10 minute encounters. And so you could actually pick up the game and have the kid explore Starport a little bit and just do 15 minutes. So it works like that as well. And and it's purposely designed like that. Um, I have made some similar um, experiences because when we played this this maze game, my my daughter and um, her friend, they really focused more than an hour on that game. Mm. Then we made a, we were not finished. We made a break for for lunch. I told the story um, before. Um, And the boy stand up from uh, stood up from the from the table, went back to the to the game, um, and got a sneak peek um, um, under the fog of war, because he was <laughs> so excited how the game will will go on. And um, this is uh, I was really really um, it was really a nice experience for me to see how long they were able to focus on this game. I have not seen this before with any other game. So um, mm. yeah, this is um, an experience we both share at least. Mm, yeah. So what I've seen on your website is that you um, have a difference between a turn-based encounter and a non-turn-based encounter. Mm. What 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 can what can what what do we, what is it? What can we uh, understand? Yeah. In, in so the, this is this? this is essentially some training for for folks who are not familiar with typical tabletop role-playing games. Um, so uh, the turn-based encounter is an encounter where uh, every player as well as any creature involved in the encounter, has a turn to uh, describe their action and then make a roll to see if they're successful. Uh, because oftentimes in, in role-playing games, you're just you're just chatting. You're doing different kinds of encounters. Um, you're 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 trying to maybe climb a wall or or get across something or talking with the store owner to negotiate on a price for your equipment or, you know, these kinds of things. Those kinds of things are non-turn-based. Usually kids can, um, you know, can, can talk freely uh, and, you know, have a more of a discussion around the table. But some, in some cases, you need to have a turn-based encounter uh, in which every um, uh, kid or every player has, an, has a chance to say something that they want to do, whether it's use one of their wands or try to convince a creature that they need to run away or that they need to be friends with you um, if, they're trying, if they're blocking you from doing something. So those are typically turn-based encounters, uh, and you enter those encounters when there's some kind of um, – of a uh, 
of a standoff between uh, players and the creature, whether they need to get by or they need to convince them of something or something like that. So um, maybe maybe we can talk a little bit about the the world of um, of Starport because it looks uh, it looks very colorful, magical, and very full of inspiration because uh, there are flying whales. Um, I've seen robots, and everybody seems to be happy. And um, so, how did this um, this world come together? Did did you build it by yourself, um, or how how much were your your kids and the adventures that you maybe um, experienced with them were in, um, had an influence on that? Yeah, so this is a great question. I'm glad you asked it uh, because you know the the co the concept of the world really was very important and i thought about it for a long time and in the end you know I, we had we had a bunch of different discussions about it and actually i discussed every decision with the artwork in the world with my kids because they were they were a major part in the creation of the game why the game came to be uh, and their ideas were always incredible um And you know, in the end, we decided that we needed to have elements of just just about everything in the world, right? We, we needed to have fantasy, traditional fantasy elements with with dragons and knights. We needed to have elements of of space age sci-fi with spaceships and um, you know and stars and planets. We needed to have elements of you know silly elements that were fun and silly, like slimes with faces on them. Um, so we just we really wanted anything to happen in Starport, and we needed to create artwork that portrayed that feeling of absolutely anything can exist here. There can be robots, there can be spaceships, there can be dragons and knights and silly, funny bunnies. Um, you know, we had a, a pug with a unicorn horn as a you know as a <laughs> pet created, right? So it's anything can happen, anything can exist in Starport, and. And actually, in fact, a lot of the puzzles and encounters in Starport, I would say maybe half of them were ideas that came from my my children, which I discussed with them on a on a weekly basis about these ideas. The map of Starport, I had created an initial spec document for the artist to to create the Starport city map. And after the first draft came back, I gave it to my boys and I said, what needs to be done. And 100% of the feedback that I gave to the artist about the first draft of the map came from my, my kids. Uh, and we had about three of those sessions back and forth where all of the feedback came from my kids. I just typed what they said. And that is how the map uh, turned out the way that it did. Yeah, that's that's an awesome story because uh, in the beginning that sounds like a joke at first because uh, um, I mean the kids as uh, the artist directors um, mm -hmm. that sounds silly but when you think about it for a moment it's actually brilliant because I mean who could see the world uh, through a child's eyes better than children themselves so um, yeah. I would say good job yeah. there. Yeah, and, and the funny thing is I had all these ideas about you know what I need to have a theme to my world right I have to have it has to have a theme. I have to create something that ties together, you know, whether it's an ancient fantasy world or a space world. I have to do something. And what came very obvious to me when working with the boys, my boys, was actually, no, it doesn't. And it shouldn't. 
it should be absolutely anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's completely different because I my first impression would have been there needs to be a theme or a setting at least or something like that. But um, yeah, uh, it's awesome to include the kit there. And I know that um, a lot of uh, listeners from this show also want to design games with their kits. So do you have any advice how they... Um, could start maybe um, the process of working with uh, with their kids. Yeah, that. So one thing I, I will say that that was a major difficulty in the whole creation process, you know, was the was the play testing. Um, you know, we I had good play testers with my own children, and we did a lot of that. And the original design came from from you know, just um, doing some role playing making some roles and seeing, you know, what fit and what was, what was good. But then actually testing the game was quite difficult because, you know, you need a lot of people to test your game and, you know, you can't get kids very commonly to test your game or families, really. They're not very easy to find. Um, not only that, when you're designing a, a, a game for kids, a five-year-old will play the game completely differently from a nine-year-old. And so, and so, um, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's very, very difficult to get lots of data to, to test with a five-year-old and nine-year-old because you need the, you need the, the data for, you know, equal data for both of them because, you know, you, you don't have enough information. So, um, so that the play testing was a, was a quite difficult, um, difficult part. And, uh, The, the the last thing I'll say here is about uh, sharing. Um, you know, it's very, there's a lot of different reasons why you wouldn't feel like you don't want to share your your creation, and you know whether it's someone might steal your idea, or you're nervous about being judged, or you're scared. You know, you'll find your system needs to be totally scrapped. Um, but the you know what I've discovered is the end result is all much better. Every you know, the more you share, the end result will be 100% better every time. So that's that's another sort of learning I I got from this. Yeah, I agree on that. And when it comes to the to including the the children to the design process, how have you actually done that? Have you talked with them that you are going to you want to design a game and you want to involve them in the in the decisions, or was it more something like that? Um, came up over time when you were playing with them so was it more a conscious decision to include them from the beginning or was this something that um, that grew over the time yeah that's a great question you know i think I, i included my boys a little bit past the beginning stage so i knew i wanted to create this game i made a conscious decision i wanted to make something and there was a few elements that i wanted i wanted great artwork i wanted non-violence I wanted education and also inclusion. So you also see some elements of, you know, diversity in my game as well. Um, but I think after that initial stage, when I started getting into the mechanics of the game and when I started playtesting and doing the artwork, I, I made a conscious decision to tell my kids I, I was designing the game. I needed, I needed more input on the artwork for the artist. I needed, um, more encounters and, um, you know, different puzzles and experiences for the city. And so I actually sat down with my kids and I told them what I wanted, what I was doing. I said, what ideas do you have? Uh, and so, you know, we just, we had a lot of brainstorming sessions and they, those, those sessions alone turned into their own little games of, 
you know, what can we make here? You know, what's interesting to you? I also, you know, put down different puzzles in front of my kids and I asked them how they were, you know, word finds, Sudoku puzzles, things like that. And I asked them which ones they liked better. Uh, and so that kind of drove the process as well. So I, I did guide them a, a bit, but uh, some, a lot of our sessions were really just open-ended. I really like the idea of having some kind of brainstorming sessions with kids because, uh, yeah, you can really um, use their creativity there and um, come up with great ideas together with them. I have done this with my daughter once. Um, we ended up with a very simple um, unicorn game where the uh -huh. unicorn had to jump over some wood and stuff like that. So it was a... Uh, It was also interesting, and I will do that in the future, I, I'm pretty sure. So um, what I really like about this um, this concept of having um, or playing RPGs with kids is that it is fun for both the, the kids and the parents. And that is something that, that you often do not have with, with other board games for, for that age group, um, because it's often, yeah challenging for the parents to keep keep all the kids the children in, somehow engaged in the game and um, it's either too complicated for the kids or too easy for the parents so um, i really like this idea of uh, playing rpg with kids because it's um it's interesting yeah, for both yeah, it's a shared storytelling experience right and you know it's it's Uh, it's unlocking your imagination and, and letting kids do whatever they want, you know, in every other aspect of their lives, including in school, they're told what to do and they're expected to follow directions. It's a major problem if a kid doesn't exactly follow the directions and do what they're told and tell back the information that they're given in school. They do it all day and it's our society controls them. And so in a role-playing game, it, that is, The doors are unlocked and opened and they can do whatever they want. I've never had an experience where a kid did not love playing a role playing game. And, you know, and what what Starport aims to do is just put a little bit of structure around that so that parents who are not so familiar with with role playing games um, could very easily pick it up and have some some guidance and some structure around it so that they can have, um, you know, yeah, that, that storytelling element that fits in um, along with other elements such as, uh, as math and organized play and things like that. So I uh, couldn't agree more. Perfect. So let's maybe transition a little bit into um, the distribution of those games. One advantage of RPGs compared to, to board games is that you yeah, often actually only need the rulebook and an adventure to play. Maybe some dice or other components, but um, often you can, can use what you have. Um, and um, the rulebook and the adventure, they can both typically be published completely digital as a PDF. Um, so which kind of distribution channel did you use for, for your game? Yeah, so... We do, uh, we sell both a hard copy and a digital PDF, as you mentioned. Uh, uh, digital PDF is available on DriveThruRPG and then the hard copy of the book can be bought on Amazon. Um, and those are the only two dist distribution channels that we have right now. The game is relatively new still. Um, it really only has been available for about six or seven months now. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so there will likely be other um, distribution partners that we have within the next uh, few months. Uh, we're in several discussions as well. And there also will very likely be um, different language versions. Oh. Uh, Yes. <laughs> Will there be a German version is my next question. Uh, r right now, there is no German version on the on the pipeline. So if you know a publisher in Germany who is interested, then I'd love to talk. Um, but there's a French version in the pipeline and a Spanish version. Well, then I think I have to wait until my, my kids are in middle school and learn <laughs> either of those languages. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, the... So, um, yeah, so there's, there's, there's a lot of, um, promising things in the distribution pipeline coming up. Uh, also a, a box set, as you mentioned, it's typically more difficult to sort of put together the box set and distribute it. So that's also in the pipeline with a, with a U.S. publisher, uh, as well. So Starport has been gaining a lot of very good attention and traction. That's very good. That, um, what does it mean is a, what you say when it comes to, to market demand for those kind of games. Um, you said that a lot of, a lot of attention there. Um, when you, when you take a look at the entire market for RPGs for kids, would you say this is a, is a growing market or is it still some kind of, um, of niche? I would say both of those things. In fact, uh, you know, I, I created the game not as, uh, you know, with, with no expectation about, you know, turning it into a business right, and, and selling it to, to a million people. Uh, I created it for a, a specific person, which is a person who either um, loves role-playing games and has played them all their lives and wants to introduce that it to their children, or someone who's new to role-playing games and, and wants something exciting or great activity to do together with their children. Um, And so I knew I was creating it for for a, a very niche market. So it is a niche market, and that 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 niche is not that big, right? There, you know, if you look at the entire size of the market of of gaming and board games, so it's very small, very niche. Uh, however, I I see that niche as growing, um, especially uh, as the popularity of of role playing games and Dungeons and Dragons becomes more mainstream. Um, the board game market itself is a growing market, um, fortunately. <laughs> And I see, you know, I see Starport as, uh, you know, as the best option in that niche market. And that's why I created it, because there was really nothing that met my needs. So I see it as very niche and very small, but I see it as, as growing. And, uh, you know, I hope it, I hope it continues to grow, especially, you know, beyond Just parents who want to play role-playing games with their kids. You know, you, I hope we see them in schools, uh, in after-school programs, things like this. Yeah, I hope so too. Have you ever thought about um, doing a Kickstarter campaign for your product? Uh, yes. Uh, so we did not do a Kickstarter for this first one, uh, for the first uh, core rulebook. We will be launching a Kickstarter Uh, most likely uh, at the end of February, beginning of March. So very, very soon, within the next one month or so, um, for the next uh, supplement of Starport. The um, our idea for a supplement is also quite unique. Uh, we're actually writing a children's chapter book. Um, the chapter book will be a story about kids in Starport. Um, but in addition to the story, all of the equipment and creatures and pets that are seen in the book 
will be given statistics that can be used for your Starport adventures. So it will be both a game supplement and a children's chapter book. Cool. So how can how can people uh, find that Kickstarter campaign if they want to back it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, I will be um, advertising that uh, mostly to, to folks that who are not on our mailing list. Uh, well, of course, you can always join the mailing list at uh, uh, rpgforkids.com. But if you're not on the mailing list, you can also follow us on, on social media. We have a Instagram, Twitter, and um, a Facebook page. So we'll be advertising the Kickstarter there as well. Yeah, I will, I will add the links to the show notes, but, um, I think rpg4kids.com is not so, not so difficult to remember <laughs> if yeah. you want to. So, um, yeah, is there anything else that you would like to, to mention to other game designers that are yeah, looking, looking to, to design games with their kids or maybe especially RPGs for kids? Mm -hmm. Uh, well, uh, I, I just want to say that it's a, it's a very noble pursuit and keep doing it because it can be very difficult. It's, it's really, there's a lot more elements involved when designing games for kids, um, especially ones that, that span age ranges and it can be quite difficult as far as play testing and all that. So, um, uh, but don't let those things scare you away because actually we need more of them. Uh, you know, th these things are, highly meaningful for kids and um, I hope to see m many more of them available very soon. I agree. So I would say that wraps up our show for today. Thank you very much, Kevin, for, for joining the Nerd Lab for this episode and I wish you all the best for your upcoming Kickstarter and for Starport in general. Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thanks a lot, Kevin. Goodbye. Bye.